Welcome to TikTok Radio. I'm your host, Victoria Jameson. I'm a verified TikTok creator and professional makeup artist based in Dallas, Texas. After gaining over 800,000 TikTok followers in just six months, I became obsessed with helping aspiring creators and entrepreneurs unlock their full potential on the fastest growing app in the world. If you're looking to find your niche, increase your income, and build your influence with short form video content, then you are in the right place. My goal for this podcast is to inspire and empower you with actionable tips and insight from top TikTok creators so that you can master the For You page and build your brand on TikTok and beyond. There's no better time to start than right now. Let's dive into this week's episode of TikTok Radio. Hey guys, welcome back to TikTok Radio. I have a special guest with me tuning in all the way from Spain, casual. Um, I have Gerardo Perez. We met on Clubhouse back during COVID and he knows a lot about TikTok, a lot about TikTok ads. So I wanted to bring him in here and tell a little bit of his story. So welcome. Thank you so much, Victoria. Yeah, so super excited to be here first and foremost. Uh, I guess a little bit about myself. I started creating content on TikTok right before the pandemic, uh, probably like two, two and a half years ago, uh, just based off of different business, marketing, branding related subjects uh, and found some success there. Really was very bullish uh, on TikTok. Uh, little by little started sort of like uh, redirecting my agency to TikTok related services specifically. Uh, so right now, basically, we just offer two things organic content creation for brands on TikTok, which essentially is like building out teams of content creators, creating content scripts, and just managing the overall projects to make sure that it's a smooth sailing uh, cycle in that direction. So we can help grow accounts on TikTok, as well as TikTok ads. And oftentimes those two services are correlated. So happy to be here and share any insights on either or uh, specifically today. Yeah, this is perfect because while I do have some experience on the agency side, mine is more with like the creative consulting on campaigns. And it sounds like you're doing a lot more of like the technical stuff, although I'm sure the creative pulls into it, too, because, you know, with TikTok, it's all about the vibe and the, the culture of it. So having that experience. So when you got on TikTok, you said you're posting kind of like marketing style videos. So what kind of content did you really dive into? Were you creating content online before TikTok? No, so funny enough, I was always like on the back end of social media, uh, either helping other personal brands or other businesses in the space. Uh, but I think TikTok, I remember like October of that time, uh, Gary Vee was just like TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Uh, so I went ahead and started creating content. I remember having a very candid conversation with one of my close friends and I was like, you know what, I'm going to set a goal to post three times a week. Like I wasn't really sure what type of content I knew my general interests, what I wanted to post about, et cetera. Uh, so I snuck in like book recommendations here and there as well, which I found success with. Um, but anyways, I started posting and at the time, I think three times per week was a very daunting task. Uh, and little by little, once I found a little bit of traction, I started posting almost like twice a day, really. I mean, to be fair, we were in lockdown. We didn't have much to do. Um, That's true. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think that was like a very fun period and it taught me a lot about the platform. And most importantly, I, I, I love TikTok as a platform for everything, all the opportunity that it's brought, uh, not only to me, but to other people around me as well. But it's more so just thinking in terms of short form content, right? You can call it TikTok, you can call it Reels, you can call it YouTube Shorts, whatever it is. The concepts are fairly similar. It's just short form content, right? Uh, and being able to condense all these different ideas and thoughts into short form per se uh is really sort of like a skill uh, so yeah that was kind of like part one a bit uh and little by little i started getting brands sort of like reaching out asking me to do specific things um uh, I, th I remember one brand specifically they're like yeah we want you to help us create content and i'm like i don't want to be front facing uh to the brand specifically because it wasn't because i didn't like the brand i thought the brand was phenomenal it was just uh, limiting in terms of scalability, right? Um, I wanted to continue to maintain my personal brand and at the same time, be able to do this specific service repeatedly. So that's where I started sourcing and reaching out to different creators and building teams around that and just helping fulfill that specific service. 
Um, and we've got a, a good little portfolio of clients in the organic sector. Uh, same goes for paid ads, right? Paid ads on TikTok is very similar to Facebook technically, uh, but the content is very different. And I think being able to understand either, here's the thing, I call TikTok a, a language. I don't know if you've ever heard of that reference before, but it's very like community driven. Uh, I know a lot of times there's a lot of inside jokes on the platform as well. So being able to understand how people consume and how people prefer to be spoken to and what type of like a uh, little, I guess, inside jokes they, they have on the platform is very important to be able to craft content, not only on the organic side, but on the paid side as well. Um, so yeah, there's my little rant. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's nothing worse than seeing an ad that just like totally misses the mark. And you're like, oh, if they had just like talked to a creator, like leaned on what creators know is going to perform well, that ad could have been so much better. And then it's upsetting, I think, to the brands when they feel like they're wasting money on TikTok. But like as consumers, we know that TikTok is driving so much of the market right now online. So it's a weird like communication factor where these brands want to use the legacy platforms and treat TikTok like Instagram and Facebook. And it's just not the same at all. Um, so when you started working with more creators, you had already been working on the agency side with Instagram and Facebook, correct? Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, here's the thing. I think I was in this very unique situation because I had sort of like a presence on TikTok and I was talking about marketing related subjects. So being able to transfer that over into like a service provided a lot of credibility, understanding of the platform. So it just made sense. It was really a no brainer at that point. Yeah, I think I talk, I talk a lot about how some people are career based creators. So they're creating content about their career. And then they typically like own a business or they're a professional, whether that's like a lawyer, dentist, doctor, whatever. And then on the flip side, there's like personality based lifestyle creators, and they're creating content yeah. about their lifestyle and personality, regardless of what their career is kind of. Uh, I think it's interesting because you fit into the career-based creator. You are already making content about marketing. And instead of, as a more personality lifestyle creator would, just leaning and taking brand deals and monetizing your experience doing that and then just maintaining the agency completely separately, you're basically using TikTok as a funnel to bring in clients to your agency, right? It exactly, exactly. And I mean, here's the thing. I love creating content as well. So I think for now, it makes sense to be what you called sort of like a career creator. And over time, you can funnel those skills into different um, avenues. Like, I think one of my passion dreams would be retiring as sort of like a foodie creator and just like doing restaurant reviews and stuff like that, traveling. But that's down the line. And the thing is, if you understand content right now uh, and adapt it to a specific skill and build a business based off of it, it can take you a long way and you can carry those skills over into different passion projects once you're more financially secure and stable. Yeah, I think we see that with a lot of the really big creators, too. I'm trying to think of someone off the bat, like Jessica Suli, who did the uh, let's make some lunch with my kids, like the little bento boxes. Now she like posts workouts on her Instagram. And it's interesting because you would think, oh, she's a food creator. Like she specifically yeah. was in the food niche. She started out with that content, got millions of followers in that space. And as that, as her content, I guess her platform has evolved. She's, you know, making lifestyle content with her family. She's posting workouts. I think people get overwhelmed and they think that if they pick a niche, they have to stick to it for the rest of their life. But down the road, there's always going to be opportunity to evolve. And especially if you're able to build a platform, people are going to want to see more about your life. A hundred percent. And even if you start fresh from a new account, like I, I think as creators, not to go too deep into it, but I think one of the biggest friction points that I struggled with as a creator is like, being okay to change your content, being okay to pivot, being okay to talk about things that you're directly experiencing at this point in your life, instead of like succumbing to the expectations of your previously built audience, I guess, right? Uh, because it, if you're playing that game, at some point, you just become a slave to the algorithm, as opposed to just posting for why you started in the first place, right? Because you wanted to share something. Uh, so I think it's a tricky game to play. And I think that's something that creators will always face. Like 
now until yes. freaking forever. I totally agree. I think I get a little annoyed when I see the like growth hack system of growing your page on TikTok, which is basically like, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the people that talk about this, but it's like, once one thing goes viral, just do it over and over. You're basically just like throwing spaghetti at a wall and trying to see what sticks, which to an extent you have to do when you're growing to see what's going to work for you. But if you're only doing stuff because it goes viral and that's not like true to your brand, then you really get stuck between like a rock and a hard place because you're chasing this virality that isn't actually building an authentic brand for yourself. So it's awesome that you've been able yeah. to like hone in on the marketing niche. I'm sure there wasn't a lot of people doing that on TikTok when you got on. Did you start out with business stuff right out of the gate or did you kind of like play around and see what you wanted to do there? Yeah, so off the gate, I remember because I came up specifically with like a group of people that were doing like marketing stuff, but I was definitely like pretty close to being one of the first people on there. Uh, I was posting about just business marketing breakdowns, uh, quite a few book reviews as well, uh, stuff like that, just stuff that kind of interested me, uh, that I wanted to share with other people that helped me throughout my journey, uh, and just little tips and tricks here and there as well. Um, yeah, it, it's funny looking back on it, but yeah, just to touch on one thing before I forget, you mentioned something about sort of like having to stick to something, uh, just because it's working, right? I think on uh, the personal brand side, like you are allowed to pivot, but I've seen like direct experience with the working with brands where you have like certain KPIs that you aspire to actually reach and stuff like that. You said something that really struck a chord there, which was like testing so many different directions, right? Basically what we do uh, for brands, we establish what we call content pillars. So oftentimes content pillars, and sometimes they overlap with one another, but Typically, there's three to four for every brand, right? You have the super famous trend-related content and adapting that to the brand. Then you probably have like some sort of series-based video that you try and have like some sort of longevity with so that people follow along and are genuinely interested. And then three, it's a little bit more product-centric uh, sometimes that you try and do like that value-value and then a little bit of selling as well, which doesn't hurt if you're a brand. But over time, you start to try like these different pillars and different variations and different ways of communicating it that you start finding success with one specific content type. And it's very hard to stray away from it because it consistently works, right? Um, mm. I think the key there is to find a way to evolve it continuously instead of it just being like a simple template uh, because success leaves clues, right? And if it works, there's like a very famous phrase, like if it ain't broke, don't freaking fix it, uh, which I think is true. But I think it's very hard. I, I think it's easier on the brand side to have that discipline as opposed to on the personal brand side and being a little bit more rational instead of like emotional with your decision making in terms of what content to actually make. Yeah, so totally agree. It's funny because we've never talked marketing like one-on-one -on -one like this. I teach the content pillar strategy to... Uh, personal brand creators. So it's not something I talk a lot about with your personal brand is you're going to have pillars, you're going to have different buckets that your content falls into. So I totally agree with that. Um, and it's interesting because the brand, everyone's a brand, whether you're working with a brand like Kleenex, or you're working as a brand, like I'm a brand, you're a brand. Um, we all kind of have the same struggles when it comes to social media. I think big brands have more of a struggle because they have more red tape when they're getting content out. And it's a lot more bureaucracy to get uh, yeah. content posted, which I'm sure. You yeah. Know. Yeah. And um, Oh, there was it's one thing harder. that you said that I really liked. Oh, a constantly evolving your content. Someone I want to point out that I think is a great example of this is Alex. Uh, what is his last name? The photographer, um, Alex, the great. Oh, that's Sam a TikTok, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew the great. It's, uh, he has an interesting yes. yes, yes, yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. So he was actually one of my first guests. He's like leaned into the marketing space too, which is cool to see. That's another example of how you can evolve your brand too. Um, 
he started off with the like original photographer videos just for context for everyone that hasn't seen him the like stopping on the street and being like hey can i take your picture which i thought were staged they were totally organic which was surprising um but he's gone from that to like now he brings like a makeup artist with him or like a wardrobe and gives someone a makeover like two or three years i guess two years later he's evolved that content still getting millions of views um, but if he had just stuck to the original formula, he would have probably fizzled out. People would have gotten sick of it. So the constantly evolving part is, I think, scary. But like you said, yeah. success has clues. So you're able to use that past success and experiment and move forward with it like that. You know what? Not only like would people have maybe gotten sick of it, but I think he might have gotten sick of it, too. Uh, sometimes mm, like you have yeah. to throw like a little bit of a curveball into like your own routines and your own content style uh, to kind of like keep shit spicy. If not, you kind of lose the fizzle a little bit. Uh, so I, I can see how bringing in that added element of surprise for him could have been exciting as well and add like a little variable of, of diversity. That's true. No, I totally agree with that. I kind of got burnt out. I was... I was one of the first people, I'm pretty sure, I don't want to like take credit for this, but I was one of the first group of people, I think, to do shopping videos, like five things you need at Trader Joe's. And I got burnt out making them. It was like, it just felt so repetitive. But then two years later, people still go viral on the daily with those type of videos. But I was like, eh, people are tired of this. So I put that limit on myself, stopped making that content. And now that's not the content my audience expects from me anymore. So it doesn't perform as well. But like those videos were getting like three or four or five million views of like things you should buy at Walmart. And I thought it was lame, but that's working for someone else now because I stopped doing it. So having that consistency and evolving so that you don't get bored is a really good point. I agree with that. A hundred percent. And that goes back to like not being a slave to the algorithms and like people's expectations. Um, it comes with time, you know, it just depends like what your long-term play is, right? Do you want to be a creator for a long time? Do you want to pivot into consulting? Like, what do you want to do? I think the options, there's no right or wrong thing. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to focus on what's going to keep it interesting for you as a creator as well. Yeah, I don't think there's like a right and wrong way to navigate a career as a creator, but I do think we see a pattern overall with most of the big macro creators are using their income from brand deals to then partner with brands more directly, whether that's um, acquiring shares in the brand or starting their own brands and businesses so that 100%. they're not just relying on brand deals. So you've kind of done that, though, with your company, you're funneling people using your TikTok audience. Do you take brand deals or is your monetization mostly through your clients with your agency? Yeah, I mean, it's mostly clients through agency, but on occasion, if a brand reaches out that I'm keen on and I'm like, okay, it's a cool product. Yes, at times I'll partner. Um, but I think that's a little more rare. Uh, I, I Like the majority of the income definitely comes from the agency. Do you guys have an agency TikTok separately? No, but that is something I've thought of. Um, it's a little bit harder because it is a completely remote agency. Uh, but that being said, it is definitely something I've thought of. And even if I'm just popping on there and giving like different specific tips related to TikTok, that could be another thing to kind of like separate from my own personal brand and kind of do what I want to do. It's just, man, it's 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 a lot. It's, it's a, a lot. lot, but no it i totally is, agree i never started socials for this podcast like when i first started it i like organically topped the entrepreneur chart of itunes in america at 36 which i was not even trying to like start wow. a podcast i was just doing this for funsies so i had no idea i didn't know that was good i had no context to podcast and my producer when he came on he was like wait what <laughs> like how did you do this organically i think at the time a lot of yeah. people were searching for tiktok but no i can totally agree that starting a new channel and managing a new channel is a lot and i think a lot of people say oh should i start a new page for this and it really comes down to do you have time to manage another page and create independent content for another page 
Yeah, 100%. I think people from the outside looking in, they're like, ah, why not? But the thing is, depends on how you actually go about creating content. It could be quite tedious uh, in terms of planning, execution, scripting, and stuff like that. Or it could be just a little bit more off the cuff, like, hey, I'm just going to uh, drop a couple bars real quick and upload it. It depends. It depends what you're looking for. But uh, typically, I go a little bit more the scripted and plan route um, than just sort really? of like off the cuff, cuff style videos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, at least having like a rough idea. I remember when I first started TikTok, I would script out everything. I would script out verbatim what I was going to say within the line, look at the line, record. And in addition to that, before actually recording, I would script out the complimentary text insert that I wanted in that specific frame as well. Um, so maybe it was like something that wasn't necessarily said in the video, but it complements what I'm saying, or it's sort of like a mm. addition to it. Uh, so it was very thought out. Um, and that really helped like me in the, on -screen the time in which mean? I was communicating things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm everything. like the complete opposite. <laughs> I can't script anything. But it's interesting. Yeah. A lot of people do that. I, a lot of YouTubers, I didn't realize script yeah, their videos. And I cannot, my brain does not function like that. I never realized. I guess it makes YouTubers. sense that people do that for TikTok. Yeah. I, I think the vast majority of YouTubers actually, they use teleprompters straight up. Um, it makes their life what? 10 times easier. Yeah, I mean, if I you're if you're like that. a talking head video, of course, in the information in the edutainment space, I, I'd say a large percent of them. I guess uh, that makes sense. Sort of like that teleprompter. Yeah, so they can just that sort of like sense. read it off, send it off to their editor, B-roll some stuff and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, in in all fairness, so I'm glad I started scripting because now a, a large majority of my time goes to either scripting content. Uh, for paid ads and organic. And you'd be surprised because it's very different, the type of content that you have to create for organic and paid. I think it's something that people don't really understand until like you go and test like multiple ad creatives. Uh, but let's say, for example, one of the things I see a lot with like new brands on TikTok, they're like, oh, this video went viral. Why don't we just put more money behind it so that we can get sales? It's like, Look, 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 one second. This video went viral because you put your dog in a bag of treats and they thought the dog was cute, right? They don't necessarily understand what your product is, what it does, what the benefits are, and why people should actually buy it. So one huge mm. misconception there is sort of like the organic content that works. You should just run that as ads. And I think personally, that's a big mistake. Uh, one example I love making, have you ever seen that Duolingo video that it's like, there is a trend that it was people jumping into the pool and like uh, being like, oh, I would never swim in that water. But it was like Dua Lipa's piss, essentially. Uh, and then Duolingo was like swimming underwater. It's their most viral TikTok with like almost 40 million views. Uh, but the example I always give is like, imagine that you see that TikTok um, for the first time and that's your first point of contact with Duolingo. Even though it had massive virality, if you're a first, if this is your first time impression, would you download that app and you understand what exactly Duolingo is just based off of them mm. wanting to swim in Duolipa's pool water? Um, so short answer is no, right? And oftentimes that happens a lot with brands that find that organic success on TikTok and then they actually um, try and run that as an ad. The good news there is there are ways to actually funnel those specific audiences. So let's say, for example, Victoria has a brand, right? And you recently had a video of those that went super viral on TikTok, but it didn't necessarily convert into sales, right? Uh, why didn't it convert into sales? Well, most likely it fell under the category of more so entertainment than product base or functionality. So what you can do there is go to the TikTok ads platform, group uh, that specific audience, create an audience based off of that. It could either be people that Watch your videos 50% in the past 7 to 14 days, engage with it, liked, commented, whatever you want. You can group all of those audiences and then run paid ads specifically to that audience with a more detailed creative of what your product does. So that's a highly engaged, mm. a very warm audience for you to actually be able to convert them into customers and, and actual sales. So when a brand sees, you know, this creator had a viral video, 
about our product. It wasn't necessarily, it was more entertainment based, like let's run ads to their audience. What kind of partnership would that look like for the creator? That would be like an additional sponsored post with whitelisting rights on the ad platform. So and if you're case, new and you don't know what whitelisting is, it's basically where a brand puts ad spend behind your video, but it lives on your page and they pay for it. Yeah. So in this case, I was specifically referencing brands that posted directly from their account. Um, mm. There are ways to actually be able to tap into the creator, uh, the creator's TikTok. It's a little bit like their audience specifically. It's a little bit more difficult because A, it has to be a business account. And oftentimes creators only have creator mm. accounts. Um, and then B, you would actually have to have their login credentials to sync up your account to their, I, I'm sorry, your ad account to their TikTok account to be able to actually access those audiences that maybe watch that viral video. Um, so I haven't seen that specific scenario just because of like the logistical complexity behind it. Yeah, it's But I possible. think whitelisting, yeah, I mean, it's possible. It's just a pain in the ass. Uh, and not a lot of creators are going to want to give a brand their, their password to sync that up. But in terms of whitelisting, I think that's more along the lines of like Spark ads. Are you familiar with Spark ads? No. Okay. So I know nothing about any of this. So anything okay. about paid, I know a lot about organic content, not a lot about paid uh, placement. So tell me all the things. Yeah. Yeah. So Spark ads is essentially whitelisting, right? Let's say, for example, I'm a brand. Let's say, I don't know what brand do you want me to be, Victoria? You can be um, L'Oreal. All right. My name's L'Oreal today. Nice to meet you. Uh, I'm L'Oreal and I'm reaching out to Victoria and I'm like, hey, Victoria, I really want to partner with you and I want to do a post uh, directly to your audience on your channel, right? Um, so essentially you create that post, yada, yada. Once it's uploaded, you actually have the ability to go into ad settings. You do need a creator or a business account to do this, full disclosure. But you go into your ad settings, which is bottom right corner, three dots, you'll find it. And then you can actually generate a code and license it for yes. an X amount of time. Okay, so I've that done can this. Be either so that's 15. Different. Okay, cool. Okay, wait, sorry. So Spark Ads is different than TikTok for business or it's all together? It's part of it. Um, okay, cool. It's part of Continue. it. So Spark sorry. Ads, but yeah, no, you're fine. So basically, you can generate and license that code to the brand for like 15, 30, 60, or I believe even like a full year now. Um, and all you have to do is send that code to the actual brand. They pop it into their ad account and they can run spend directly from it. So some of the benefits behind running a Spark Ads for brand is A, they're getting to use your username specifically. If you have a little blue tick uh, next to your name as well, it adds an element of uh sort of like credibility uh, a second advantage there is you have that pre-existing engagement from the original post and then a third actual benefit is on tiktok ads like if you do it the old-fashioned way without the spark ads you can't add hashtags or emojis so all these three factors essentially what they end up doing is just disguise the ad a little bit better on the for you page um at times they work great at times they don't it's very dependent on the creative uh, I've also seen like at uh, when I'm running ads specifically, sometimes we'll run Spark ads versus the same posts, non-Spark. And for some reason, the platform tends to heavily favor the Spark ad, even though it's not as effective and it's a little bit more expensive. So it's just a matter of testing, but it's definitely an option on the platform as well. Um, That's interesting. Which is quite I didn't cool. realize there were kind of two facets to the ads. I thought they were all kind of the same thing. Because I've done that where you give a brand your, you know, lo your link. It's like a yeah. big long thing with numbers and stuff. I'm curious what you're seeing from the creator side. So there's kind of two ways creators can can go about charging for whitelisting. Uh, one school of thought is to not charge extra for it and let brands do it to get your content more visibility. And I think that's typically more micro creators kind of fall on that side. And then, like you said, like having a blue check mark or being a more like recognizable face on the platform, people usually charge for that, right? Because then, you know, their likeness is being pushed out to 
hundreds of thousands of people um, promoting the product. So are you seeing creators not charging for it or charging for it? What's your biggest experience been on the agency side? It really depends. It's really interesting because I'm on both ends of the spectrum, right? I'm on the creator and agency side. So there's kind of like a little bit of insight in both regards. I think it's very dependent on the stage of the creator, how big you are, right? If you're a creator with like 10K followers and you're charging a massive amount for that licensing fee, it might not be like very, uh, the brand's just going to be like, no, we'll just take the actual content that you made. Thank you very much. And we'll just run it as a normal ad, right? So you have to put yourself in the brand's shoes. But at the same time, if you're a creator that already put in all that sweat equity uh, to build your audience and you're like, you know what? Like, I am not too keen on this. Um, definitely you can find ways to actually collaborate with them and charge. I've seen deals of all sorts. I've seen deals where it's just like a flat rate. I've seen deals where sometimes they ask for whatever percentage of spend that they put behind it. Um, it's really just dependent on how big you are and how sort of like, uh, how astute you are with the industry as well. It's funny because there's so much gray area. Like, I think that was one reason Clubhouse was so great for people in the creator space connecting because I know it definitely gave yeah. me a community of people I could reach out to and be like, hey, what would you charge for this? Or like, have you worked with this brand before? I feel like I talk about that on every episode is like connecting with other creators, asking them questions, um, like getting advice from them. Uh, as far as rates go, I know I see a lot of videos on TikTok that are like, I just had a creator with this many followers asking for like, nine hundred thousand dollars like you know ninety thousand dollars for a post type of things so are you seeing a huge discrepancy in rates for creator size i think you have to be aware of the business and what niche you're in as well uh say for example Mm. it's well known that the most profitable at least like on youtube in terms of adsense the most profitable niche is personal finance Because you'll have a whole bunch of fintech companies like be able to either give you massive affiliate deals or they're actually willing to do heavy advertising on the platform. So it's like understanding your niche there. Um, I think also creators should open up their minds to being not obviously not doing the free work, but getting a little bit more creative with how they structure their deals. So maybe your deal is, let's just say hypothetically, right? Let's say you have a deal for one sponsored post, right? But instead, and you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to charge 1K for that post. Great. Why not be a little bit more creative with it and be like, you know what? Instead of just one post, why don't we open up to a potential deal uh, where essentially maybe throughout this month, I can generate either one, two or three posts for you. But we activate uh, specific performance bonuses based off of like you thresholds, right? So then within your actual, um, how would you say, your your proposal, you're like, okay, if all the videos combined throughout the month get more than, yeah, your pitch, yeah, get more than 100K views, we activate a bonus in this direction. Mm. That could be like $300, They get more than, exactly. And it's not contingent to the amount of posts that you actually do. Because let's be real, like if you're at that stage and if that's what you're charging, you'd much rather give yourself the opportunity to create that business as opposed to let that opportunity slide just because someone on TikTok told you, hey, you shouldn't charge this. I think it's more so you should look at it as a game and see, okay, I'm more experienced in regards to what brands are willing to pay and little by little always up it and see not necessarily what you can get away with, but what your actual market value is to these specific brands. Uh, and a great way to do that, again, is implementing those sort of like creative bonuses um, and sort of like bonus thresholds to see how you can activate and make a little bit more money off of the engagement as well. That's my personal I, recommendation. A lot of people are going to be like, that's insane, but it's what I would do. No, I love that. I think a lot of people go into it feeling like they can't charge X, Y, and Z. But like from my end, I see creators that are much have a much smaller platform than I do especially ones that come from the traditional blogging space I think just overall charge more because in the past that content was so 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 valuable I mean it still is but 
they have the more the business experience. So they're like, look, like it's going to cost you 10 K to get, you know, this, this, and this from me, but they have like less than 200,000 followers, but then brands go with it. Sometimes it's so interesting. Like you never know what they're willing to pay. Do you guys on the agency side, I, I like to ask people this cause I'm always curious. Do you guys go in with a set like threshold of like, this is the max we're willing to pay for a video in general on this campaign or is there wiggle room for you guys? I know it's going to be different for every agency, but I'm curious. So for sponsored posts, we don't, we don't uh, broker any sort of like influencer campaigns or anything like that. Um, It's more so like set, set structures for specific brands. Uh, so that we can manage their account and create videos okay. uh, repeatedly and consistently. But I don't touch influencer uh, campaigns with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> that's, not my, that's not my thing. Okay, so you're like internally setting them up to work with influencers, essentially. Exactly, kind of. so that they can be sort of like the face of their brand, but not yes. leveraging their original audiences, more so coming into their ecosystem, their brand, and creating content on their behalf. Okay, interesting. It's always cool to see. I mean, there's so many facets to the online marketing space. Like, I don't touch ads. I don't touch sponsored content or uh, like ad spend type content. Um, and then you don't do influencer type content internally. But then like you are an influencer in a sense. So it's just funny like how everyone fits yeah. into this weird puzzle. Yeah, the advice I was giving you is more so like based off of how I've personally structured okay. sponsored deals. No, I totally um, agree. Not so much like how what we you've seen. negotiate with creators. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that though. I think I think I got off topic, but the package deals and being able to add in bonuses, like I did a deal for Ulta um that was a holiday ad like two years ago. And basically they said, if you get like this engagement, it was built into theirs through like a platform, but, um, it was like, if you get more than 7% engagement, it was either seven or 17, then you'll get an extra like 15 or I don't even, I don't want to say the amount, but it was an extra, it was a lot more. So I was like, okay, bet. Like I'm going to put a lot more effort into this, knowing that if it goes viral, you know, at least goes semi a little bit viral i'm gonna get paid a lot more so i think it's kind of a win-win for the brand and for the creator yeah a hundred percent i mean touching base on that again if you can structure that into your pitch and find a way to be more valuable to the brand and actually deliver that whether that's through affiliate deals commission or just few thresholds that you activate sort of bonuses do it. I, I think negotiating at the end of the day is a great skill and it's part of sales and it's learning uh, what your actual market value is as well. Yeah, it's definitely a skill though. Like it's something you have to learn. I think because I kind of came from sales background a little bit in college and right out of college, I like immediately leaned into the like, well, let's let's sweeten the deal type <laughs> well, of mentality. I think a lot of people are yeah. scared to get shot down too. Like if they ask too high, they might, I don't know, they might say no, but there, I mean, there's always more opportunities on the way, I think. Yeah. I, I, trust me. I remember that, but it's a game. It literally is a game. And I think it's also like a mindset thing, right? And you're not going to start with this fucking million dollar mindset the first day and on your first deal and stuff like that. It's going to be a progressive, slow uh, journey, but at the same time. Maybe a year from now, you're looking back at your first deal and you're like, wow, look at how far I've come and stuff like that. And and your perspective changes over time, oh, which absolutely. is cool. It's nice to look back on. I know you had mentioned at the beginning, like when you first got on TikTok, you kind of set goals for yourself and you were like, I'm going to post three times a week. And I'm sure at that point, it was like regardless of performance of the content because it was a new platform. It was new content that you were creating. I'm curious now that you are running this agency, you're not, you're a full-time creator, but you're not a full-time creator. You know, it's not your only thing you're focusing on, um, or it's not your only income stream. I I don't know how to word that, but do you still, or what's your approach now that you have 
other things going on besides just creating well i guess back then you didn't just have what's your approach now to planning and staying consistent with content like have you struggled with that now that you're doing more on the tiktok side for work yeah 100 percent. i'll be incredibly real with you over the past year i've neglected my content immensely and i'm very ashamed to say that but i'm not scared or, or you, you get the vibe um so it is oh, something i've thought of but one thing <laughs> Uh, one thing that I will say is I've become a lot more intentional with my content. So before the type of content I would make, just for example, would be more so like massive marketing breakdowns. Like say, for example, I would explain the rationale why Dunkin' Donuts, it would make sense for them to partner with Charlie D'Amelio for X and Y reasons to be able to sort of like bring in those Gen Z audiences to a drug like coffee that makes them a long time uh, customer, right? Almost like a lifelong customer. And just historically, those audiences that are coming up, that sort of like teenage you know, youthful audience is a brand's most valuable audience when it comes to customer acquisition, just because of that brand loyalty, et cetera. That was the type of content that I would make back then. And I incredibly enjoyed making it. I still do. But the thing is now I'd rather teach more tactical content because of the nature of my business, what my intention with my content is and stuff like that. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, it's like right now it is kind of like biting the bullet for a while. It might not be my biggest sort of like passion, right? To be able to make that type of content. Do I miss the old style content? Yes. But I understand the actual rationale and the why I'm doing this type of content right now to be able to bring in specific attention directed towards the business, if that makes sense. Um, no, that totally makes sense. So yeah, that's that's my content right now. <laughs> it's it's funny because it always does evolve. Like the type of content I started with social media isn't the same, but I am starting a new page for this type of content because it is such a like shock and sudden specific. shift. Yeah on my page I, I think a lot of people didn't know about my like business background and I never talked about that so like suddenly posting a kind of businessy based podcast even though it is for creators but like I really like talking about the business side behind creation so um what do you think is the biggest mistake I think you kind of said this earlier but I want to hear if there's another facet of it the biggest mistake brands make approaching running ads on TikTok. Yeah, so I'll, I'll screen this from the top of the hill 20 times over. It's more so being uh, very persistent on what type of content they want to run as ads, right? Because there's all these narratives. It's like, yes, obviously it has to feel like a TikTok and whatnot, but there's different ways to make an ad feel like a TikTok playing into different features of the platform, like using uh, different like uh, what'd you call them like in-app features like green screen mm. comment planting like, text-to-speech yeah exactly like those are ways to actually make the content feel like a tiktok but at the same time following like traditional not traditional but like proven direct response frameworks like having a strong hook uh depicting sort of like a problem if your product actually solves a problem explaining the benefits, not so much features, and obviously ending with the call to action. That's typically like the three to four step framework that I like to integrate when it comes to ad specific content, which you could imagine is a little bit different from organic content. So it's kind of like educating and open up, opening up uh, the brand's eyes and perspective to, hey, maybe the content that we're making organically isn't going to directly transfer over uh, to paid as great as we'd expect it to. I can totally see that. And what's your like approach to educating these brands? Because I think I see agencies taking it different directions, whether that's like creator panels or they have some sort of system for onboarding people that gets them more in a TikTok mindset, or maybe they never get it fully, but they just trust you. So how do you kind of get brands on board with that? Yeah, so... For us, it's one of two things, whether if we're responsible for their direct response or paid ad content, then we just go ahead uh, and actually script, direct and execute. Or if they actually want uh, to execute the content on their own front because they already have creators on commission or something like that, 
then we actually go ahead and script the content specifically for ads for them uh, so that we know what we're getting from the content based off of proven frameworks. Uh, so that's kind of the approach that we take and we make sure to add different elements like I described those different in-app features to try and make the content feel a little bit more organic or native to TikTok as well. Yeah, that's so important because there's nothing worse than getting an ad that's like a, it's like a slideshow and you're like, eh, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to click on that. that. <laughs> it's just like the, the image slideshow and you're like, oh my goodness, well, cause <laughs> give they, me your money instead. It's weird that they've built... <laughs> Eh. It's interesting because when the ads platform first launched, I remember them saying like, oh, we have these built in templates for brands to use. Like they were trying real, real, real. They were giving brands free money to spend on it. Like they were pushing for people to jump on it. And I think at the time it kind of was not what it is now. And they had the templates and they're like, look how easy it is to use. So a lot of brands just got on there and kind of threw stuff up and then they're like, oh, well, it doesn't work. It's a waste of money. Gen Z yeah. sucks. Like they hate TikTok now, but they just, if you're not doing it right, you're not going to have the right conversion and the right results. No, I think every platform has like these tools that they roll out within their ad platform and within their overall service that they really want to push into their community. But that doesn't always mean that they're effective. At the end of the day, the market decides like, and consumer psychology decides whether it's effective or not, right? So Again, I'll reiterate this just because TikTok rolls out a new tool on their ad platform. If you're really keen on it and if you have a hunch that it could benefit you in some way, give it a try. Doesn't hurt to pop in a creative here and there and see how it performs. But I wouldn't put all my all my money there 100% because I've seen it time and time again that most of those actual uh, features are not very useful. So for those of us that were around for like the Facebook ad platform boom in i would say like the mid to late tens so like 2016 2017 were you doing facebook ads back then like you know what i'm talking about how there was like really really good reach yeah yeah i mean in the current state of like online advertising is a little bit sensitive to, due to sort of like apple's privacy policies it has kind of like hit everyone on the side of the head there are different ways to kind of like mitigate that and still have solid audiences to target, great tar uh, great tracking as well. Uh, but that has been a little bit of a curve on the past two years. Uh, that being said, I do see a lot of similarities between Facebook and TikTok. I mean, it almost seems like they took half of their development team from the original project on Facebook and just hired them to TikTok coach them uh, because it is very similar. And if you're coming from Facebook, uh, running ads there and trying to adapt to TikTok, uh, it, like everything is pretty much identical. Like there are some nuances, there are some different factors, but I think the main thing is content, right? Uh, one of the things I always tell people is like, what works on Facebook doesn't necessarily work on TikTok, but oftentimes what works on TikTok ports very well onto these other platforms like yes. Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. I totally agree. I was going to ask you about that because at the beginning, um, you had mentioned about short form content. We can call it a TikTok, but at the end of the day, it's short form content. In my brain, I think all of this content being shared is TikTok because native Instagram content kind of sucks. Like there's not good offense yeah. if you're like a, you're a native real superstar, but I think where we're at for reels right now is where TikTok was in 2018, 2019, where it was like purely lip syncing, which they pushed hard for people to get away from and to create original content. But I feel like the successful, good content we're seeing on every platform is TikTok. Like, I remember trying to explain that to people and they would say oh yeah tiktok ew you know i don't do that i'm like yeah but those viral meme accounts you follow on instagram or, or on facebook those are they're TikToks. TikToks. they're they're cropping them and they're tiktoks you're two weeks um, behind bro yeah yeah and i think mentor even if that's not the case right now i think one of the reasons why maybe us specifically it might be different for someone listening but one of the reasons why we have that ingrained so deeply in our mind is think back two years ago I think one of TikTok's biggest marketing strategy as a company was adding watermarks to their downloaded videos. 
because you were on Twitter, you were on Instagram, you were on Facebook and every single video that you would see that was in that sort of like vertical format had those little watermarks like popping around the screen. So people are like, oh, TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. And even if they didn't download the app, the brand awareness was through the fucking roof. Uh, I didn't even think about it And even now, since we have that understanding. Yeah, of course. And even now, since we have that understanding of it, we just see it all as TikTok, right? Um, Which is very interesting. I think it's a huge brand equity play and probably their most genius effort that they've made. Yeah, I never thought about that as a brand awareness move, but it makes sense. And, And Instagram has followed suit. You know, they put the watermark on the bottom it's not as uh, invasive <laughs> as the tiktok the yeah. tiktok watermark is just kind of a dick move but i can see why they did it because it it really does drive brand awareness i never thought of it like that and um, yeah, yeah. It, all the all the viral content i think we see everywhere is tiktoks and it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves because like we talked about earlier like tiktok has this culture to it that's kind of in it's one inside joke when something is trending like the pink sauce right now i don't know if you're on pink sauce tiktok but um i've seen a lot i'm not on pink sauce tiktok i'm gonna have to see it (laughs) yeah there's just like little cultural things that trend and yeah like instagram's two weeks behind i think i saw a meme that was like i don't have tiktok i watch it on reels two weeks later like an adult but it's true i mean yeah yeah yeah. the same stuff being recycled it's gonna be interesting to see if instagram and youtube shorts kind of develop their own culture around it or if it will continue to stay tiktok driven you don't think so no i think it's very instagram's in a very tough spot right now and have you seen the movement that's like make instagram instagram again or something like that yeah well and like do people are people are roasting that guy that does the um the instagram updates that it's like well he kind of yeah. like i think it's their creative director he was like well this is actually according to the statistics this is actually what you guys want so you did this to yourselves it's pretty much what he said but we're like nah yeah i mean it's interesting i think they have no other option at this point i think it's going to be an interesting next five years in social media but to be fair, if you're Instagram, like you have to adapt to short form content. Like it doesn't matter what other people want. It's like, dude, if we don't do this, we're out of business. Yeah. And I think my friend Lisette, she said, um, she's talking to her partner and she asked him, if you had, you know, 30 minutes to spend on scrolling, would you rather scroll 30 minutes of short form videos or would you rather scroll 30 minutes of photo? And I mean, since 2016, people have been saying, you know, video content is king. Like, it's not surprising that it has come to this place. But it is interesting that as a platform, Instagram developed showing you content of your friends in photo form. And it is just now you're seeing videos of comedians that you've never heard of for 30 minutes straight. And you're being force fed content that you really don't care about. It's interesting. God knows what's going to happen there. It's not in my hands. So I kind of just observe and, and adapt accordingly. Not my circus. I'm glad it's not my circus. Yeah, but yeah not my circus, not my monkeys. As creators and even on the agency side, I mean, you're kind of forced to adapt to what's given to us. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still free and we're able to get free organic advertising. I mean, you're paying for it with what? Cookies and time. your attention yeah. span. Yeah but um, yeah it's I mean, there's a there's a very popular phrase i've never heard the phrase that says like if the product is free you're the product yes i think that was from yeah. um did you watch the documentary on netflix what is it called the one about social media uh the social dilemma i think yes right. was that what it was called i know what yes, you're talking so. about it was great i remember it was great. Watching i did it. i did i enjoyed it I remember watching it and being like, wow, this is terrifying. And at the same time, and I was like, but it also cements that I'm always going to have a job. <laughs> like, because yes. if you understand yeah. the platform, then you understand how to work it. But it's also absolutely terrifying how the algorithm kind of like runs everything. It can be. It can be. I think people overthink it a lot. I think the danger more so comes with like mindsets and frequencies. So the way I call it, not to get political, is like, Imagine that you support cats or you support dogs, right? So if you enjoy, if you engage more with dog-related content, guess what? You're going to continue to see dog-related content. So your 
worldview, your exposure to things is very niche down towards the dog content as opposed to cat content. So it really gives you sort of like a closed down window and perspective on what's actually going on in the world. And I think that there is certain dangers to that. But understanding that I, not everyone does, but if you do understand that you should make it your responsibility to step outside of the social media world and, and see things through your own lens as well. Oh, yeah. And like, obviously, doing research is so important and understanding the sources your content's coming from. I'm like, ugh, I harp on that all the time. I'm like, double check sources, you guys, just because it's just because it's a screenshotted tweet on an account on Instagram <laughs> does not mean it exists. No, <laughs> that it was true. Yeah. Yeah, you can it's whip that up real see. quick. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So I like to ask everyone that I have on the podcast, a couple questions to just wrap things up. We're coming near the end of our time here. What advice would you give to someone who wants to be where you're at now with social media? Shit. Um, <laughs> it's a good one. I think consistency. I remember they're all, these usually stump always. People. Yeah, no, but I mean, and it sounds so freaking blase no not blase cliche but i think consistency right having like an end picture in mind and trying to figure out how to get there i keep seeing it and i've had this inner conversation so many times with myself recently it's like there's no such thing as an expert there's just people that self-proclaim the actual title and they're so consistent with it time in day in day out that to a certain point, they muscle through the imposter syndrome, they start getting recognition in the world for their work and their achievements. And then all of a sudden, even though they still have like that inner battle with themselves in calling themselves an expert, that's the perceived uh, sort of like ideology that other people have of that, right? And I think the best way to go about establishing yourself in the world in today's day and age is through content, right? Sharing your ideas, your insights, what you've learned, what you've gone through, uh, so I think in short is consistency content is something that has definitely changed my life for the better. So I would definitely recommend that putting yourself out there a little bit, uh, and having like an end goal in mind, understanding why you're creating in the first place. Like what's your goal? Yeah. I like that you pointed out people basically positioning themselves as experts, even if they don't start out in that space. I think a big factor in why I decided to kind of pivot, not necessarily pivot, but expand into the marketing space with TikTok is because I got pissed seeing people that had no experience on the app on YouTube being like, here's how to get 100,000 followers in five days on TikTok. And I'm like, okay, ew, that's like, none of those are right, first of all. Like, you know, it was frustrating seeing people giving bad advice, essentially. So I think also sometimes seeing yeah. those people can uh, motivate people that really do have the experience, might not feel like an expert, but going on that journey, I think, puts you in a position where you feel a lot more confident. And you're like, no, I do know what I'm talking about. A hundred percent. I mean, you, that's the thing. It's, there is no such thing as an expert. And I've, I understand yeah. that feeling. It's almost like, it's not that you're mad at them. It's almost like you're mad at yourself. If this person is doing it, why am I not doing it? You know? And again, that's one of those things that hopefully you use it more so as motivation as opposed to like mm -hmm. a deterrent from actually creating content. Totally love that. I couldn't have said that better yeah. myself. Um, the other thing I always end with is asking people, if you had to go back and start over knowing what you know now, what would you do different? Yeah, I mean, in theory, I wouldn't be able to because the advice I would give myself is just being more intentional with my content. But at the end of the day, you can't be intentional with your content without tasting and trying different things to find your voice, your lane, what you want to create, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess my advice is, is trash. <laughs> like I, there's nothing to say. I think it's just a matter of doing really just try. It's okay to pivot. It's okay to change. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's not okay is not to try. Yeah. I think a lot of times people feel like we have this like hyper focused, I don't know, zoom lens on us that other people are paying attention to how many likes and views they don't and care. comments. They no, I couldn't tell you yeah, no. what your last viral video was. I have no idea. I just know who you are yeah, no. as a creator because we've connected yeah. before. And I, I find that it's the same 
with the people I connect with too. So I think people get scared of the hundred percent focus, but it's not, no one's paying attention. Yeah. We're the only ones noticing. Yeah. Just keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're always going to be your biggest critic, like hands down. Always, always. That's like a rule of life. And as much as you think that other people care, they don't, they're too focused on their own lives. Um, so make your life something to be proud of, I guess, just through and action. That's like, that's something that goes into every industry though. Like even when I was dancing professionally, it was like, you're the only one that notices you make mistakes. No one is rooting for you to fail. And if they are, they're a shitty person. Like it doesn't, it's, it's funny because that's something that goes into every single career out there. And I like having so many different people from different aspects of content creation and different niches because it's so funny i hear the same advice a lot the same pain points the same things people would go back and change um so i think it's really good for aspiring creators to hear this and realize that we have the same problems that every creator has and you have to kind of address it now or else it's never going to get better yeah, and I think it, it goes to any career, any industry. It's not just content. It's just like a universal law of life. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I know it's kind of the end of the workday for you right now in in Spain. So I hope you enjoy your night. And uh, can you let our listeners know where they can find you online? Yeah, of course. So my socials are at Gerardo Perez, um, both on TikTok and on Instagram. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, guys, and tune in next week for another interview on TikTok Radio. Thank you so much for pushing play today. That's it for this week's episode. Remember to subscribe and leave us a rating or review if you liked what you heard. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram and TikTok and join our exclusive Facebook community group for more support and guidance as you grow. I'm your host, Victoria Jameson, and I'll see you next week for another episode of TikTok Radio.